invite you to open up to Luke chapter 19 as Rob read just a few minutes ago. We're going to be in Luke 19 in this familiar story about Jesus' encounter with a man named Zacchaeus. Now, for those of you who have been in church for a while, I want to ask you, what is the first thing you think of when you hear the name Zacchaeus? What characteristic of Zacchaeus do you think of? Oh, the, the song. Jason just shouted out the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Zacchaeus is probably the most famous little man uh, of human history. He is known for that. He's remembered for that. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this experience he had where Jesus sought him, saved him. And we could blow right by the detail about him being short, but there's something really profound that we don't want to miss. We're going to consider something really deep about Zacchaeus and something really deep about ourselves as we look at this text this morning. Let's begin reading it in verse 1 of chapter 19 and just... Make some observations with me along the way, okay? And we'll learn some things about him, about ourselves, and about Jesus and our hope in him. It says, he, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Let's stop there in verse 2. Notice, first of all, he was a chief tax collector, Many of you know, tax collectors in those days were, were not well-liked, and that's to put it mildly. They were, they were despised, they were hated, because they were considered traitors. Tax collectors were often Jewish people who kind of betrayed their own people to work for the Roman government to collect taxes. And they were known for not only collecting taxes, but actually adding their own little fees and charges and taking more from people than they were supposed to take for their, own, for their own benefit. So today, if you were to think of, you know, what would we compare it to, you could think of a, a used car salesman. Sorry if there are any used car salesmen in, in the audience here. Nothing personal, but uh, I have been gouged many times by used car salesmen. I, I remember as a young married guy going to buy our first vehicle together with, with Jill and I told her on the, on the drive-in, I got this strategy, I know the amount that we're going to be paying for this vehicle, and I was you know, trying to show off in front of my young wife in our early days of our marriage, and I just remember getting in there and thinking I was doing, I had this guy right where I wanted him, and then we sit down to sign all the papers, and there's all these extra fees that I ended up, and you're right there in that moment, and then you end up just signing and paying the extra, and you lose, they win, right? So I'll never forget that. So when I think of... Uh, Tax collectors, I think of, of uh, people in that profession. And again, if you're in that profession, I'm sure you're not that way. But I think of that, right? So this is what he was known for. He was known for being someone who exploited other people for his own, for his own benefit. And he was apparently pretty good at it because it says he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He made a lot of money doing it. Uh, notice, by the way, kind of passed by this, but he was a chief tax collector, so often throughout Scripture and Jesus' interactions with people, he, he did meet with and talk with tax collectors. Well, this is a chief tax collector. So this guy was like in charge of a lot of people, which means he was really good at it, and he made a lot of money doing it. 
says he was, he was rich. Made a lot of money with this. And this says in verse 3, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So a lot of people had gathered, no doubt had heard of Jesus' miracles. That tends to get attention, right? So a lot of people had gathered, and he wanted to see Jesus, and he wasn't able to see him because he was small in stature. And it says, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him as he was passing through that area. Kind of an undignified thing to do, to climb up into a tree. But he did what he had to do because he just had to see this Jesus. Just had to see him. So he humbled himself and he climbed up into the tree. Interesting to consider that, um, that he was, as it says, small in stature. In the original language, it's the word uh, micros. He was a micro-man. He was a micro-man. Throughout all history, it's always been this way. People would prefer to be tall rather than short. I uh, taught through this section to uh, some children months ago in Washington. And I asked them, hey, if you could pick, would you rather be tall or short? And other than maybe one or two, all of them said, hey, I'd rather be tall. Why is that? There's something about stature, right? We'd prefer to be tall if we could choose, and we don't, we don't get to choose, do we? <laughs> prefer to be tall. In 1 Samuel, there's the well-known story of King Saul. And you remember Saul's attributes are mentioned? Let me read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Just let me just read it to you. It says a man named Kish had a son whose name was Saul. A choice and handsome man, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. It underscores his height, that he was tall, taller than others. Then you go on a little ways, and it says again, When he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And then Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Hey, this guy's tall. He's good looking. This is our new king. Why are we attracted to tall men or good looking men or good looking women or whatever? Why? Why do these things matter? They do matter, right? So let's go back to Zacchaeus for a minute. He did not have the good fortune of being tall. He was the opposite. He was short. So let me ask you this question. Do you, do you think that perhaps there was a connection between his height and his profession, between his insecurity and his success as a tax collector? Do you think maybe something within him drove him to excel, to prove something, to compensate? I don't, I don't think... It's unwarranted to surmise that was the case. Because what the Bible says about human nature and what we know about ourselves and other people, if we've been thoughtful about our experience in this world, is that we all care. We all measure ourselves with respect to others. We're all sort of competing, aren't we? 
And whether you are physically small or not, some of us are shorter than others in here and all different varieties in terms of the bodies that we have. But whether you are small in stature or not, I would suspect that there are areas of your life in which you feel small. I'm sure there are certain, whether it's disabilities you have, disadvantages, could be physical, could be mental, could be things about your personality you don't like that are humbling to you or embarrassing to you. Many, many attributes, many, many aspects of our lives, we can feel the sense of humiliation or insecurity. Isn't that right? We all have them. And, and, and they, can, they can drive us to succeed and excel in some really positive and beneficial ways. We can, we can be driven and work hard and achieve things because of that, trying to overcome whatever that disadvantage is. And that's, that can be a good thing. And it can be a toxic thing. It can be dark. Like Zacchaeus, we too can be guilty of taking advantage of other people, can't we? And sometimes it's in those very areas in which we're trying to prove, we're trying to compete, we're trying to one-up the next person. Sometimes it's in those very areas that we do the most damage in this quest to prove something. To prove that we're big, that we're strong, that we matter. I'm sure you have your version of that. I I have mine. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about mine. Even though it's embarrassing, I'm going to tell you about it anyway. You know, growing up, I I was always driven to succeed. I I was kind of a perfectionist, and I always wanted to do really well. And I played sports, and I, you know, I tried somewhat hard in school, somewhat as I got into the older, you know, college years, I tried harder. But, but I found that I was always just kind of average, always mediocre, and that was not good enough for me. Until, until I moved from Rhode Island, where I grew up here, down to Florida to attend Christian college. And then I found, for the first time in my life, I found the arena, the arena in which I could really excel because I, I like to read and think and communicate, and, and it turns out that can, can work out well for such a person in that context, in the Christian context. And so that's what I did. And, and uh, fast forward a few years to, to going on to seminary in Southern California, and this, this will always stick with me. So as a freshman coming into seminary in Southern California, they, they made us go to, they made us do a lot of things we didn't want to do. One of them was they made us go to the graduation ceremony at the end of every, every year. And I remember as an incoming student sitting there at the graduation, I noticed something intriguing about the ceremony. As the graduates were going across the stage, those who graduated with honors, their GPA was read, their grade point average was read out loud to the oohs and ahs in the audience. And those who did not graduate with honors, nothing was read out loud. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, okay, that day's coming for me. And I'm envisioning it like, Mike Smith, 3.75. Ooh. Tom Jones, 3.97. Oh. Jeff Pierce. Silence. <laughs> the, the deafening sound of public humiliation. I'm envisioning that and I'm thinking, not on my watch, not a chance. If it's the last thing I do, I will graduate with honors. And I was, and my wife can attest to this, a stress ball. 
the whole way through, man, not a lot of fun to be around. Because I had to prove something. I needed that affirmation. I'm tall on the outside, sort of, relatively speaking. But I'm uh, pretty short on the inside. And I was finding in that season of my life, hey, this is a way for me to prove something, that I matter, right? That I can compete with these other guys and that I can stand out. I mean, in a sense, I thought it was for God, but in reality, a big part of that was really for me. And I was missing something. Just like Zacchaeus, to this point in his life, was missing something. I wonder what that looks like for you. What is it that makes you feel small? What is it that you resent? Maybe it's explicit. In in the sense that you feel like this wrestling with God, maybe you don't feel that explicitly, but somewhere deep down you know that he's the one that passes out the cards, right? I mean, you play with the hand that you're dealt, and you don't have control over that. I mean, to a degree we can control it. There's certain things we can adjust by our own behavior and patterns and things, but... I mean, certain things just have no control over, and so at this deep level for many of us, there's just kind of this wrestling match with God. Maybe feel like certain things were unfair or why would you do this to me or why can't I get ahead or whatever. So Zacchaeus, um, he could relate. Notice this now. He, he wanted to get to Jesus. As I said, he was desperate to get to him. So he climbs up in the tree and it says in verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and he came down and he received him Gladly, or he received him joyfully. Maybe Zacchaeus had heard that this Jesus, unlike the other religious leaders, this Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Maybe he'd heard about the miracles. Maybe he heard rumors this could be the Messiah. And maybe he was thinking, you know, I, I need help. <laughs> maybe he was at a point in his life where he was realizing the darkness of his own soul, the selfishness, the insecurity. Maybe he was exhausted by all the competition in his life, all the trying to prove and trying to justify and trying to atone for himself or whatever. Maybe he was just sick and tired of all that. And he just had to get to Jesus. And so he did everything he could, and Jesus sees him. And it's amazing because you think, well, you know, I mean, if you weren't short and he didn't climb up into that tree... Maybe he would have just blended in with everyone else. Perhaps that disadvantage or disability in his case was uh, exactly what God was intending to use to get get his attention and to have this encounter. Well, notice next he was was befriended and loved by Jesus in verse 7. It says, when they saw it, and they, I think, is the people surrounding him. And they just, remember, they hated this guy, right? So they, they saw it and they began to grumble, saying, He, that is Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I mean, probably a bunch of self-righteous religious people. So I was like, what's he doing hanging out with that guy? This con man? Scoundrel? Why would you... If you're the Messiah, why would you go hang out with that guy? 
And throughout Luke, you, you read about this, and it was, just, it was just scandalous to the religious community because he was always hanging out with normal folks, unpolished, everyday people. And they accused John the Baptist, oh, he's wrong in certain accounts. And then of Jesus, they said, oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And uh, it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing that he is. He loved Zacchaeus. And when he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to eat with you, I'm going to spend time with you at your house, it was, it was the extension of friendship. And this, by the way, don't forget, I mean, this is God in the flesh, right? Reaching out to this man, to befriend this man that nobody else wanted anything to do with. Because something of the darkness of his soul, unlike those of us who are kind of able to clean up the outside, some of us are pretty good at that. I mean, this guy is just obvious. But this guy's the worst. And Jesus uh, befriends him. And, and that did something to Zacchaeus. Uh, look what it says in verse 8. He stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. This is what I want you to observe about this verse. Zacchaeus, maybe for the first time, I don't know, maybe he was already aware of this somewhat. This is what in the counseling realm they would call self-awareness. But in, in that moment, he was seeing who he really was. He was seeing that he had taken advantage of people, used people, exploited people. He was seeing that that he was a selfish monster. He was seeing that. And as it says in Romans 2, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It leads us away from ourselves. See, you know, I, I can't. I cannot save myself. I cannot do enough to prove myself. I cannot satisfy that craving for more, for whatever it is. In his case, wealth and power and who knows. I mean, I think of today, you hear the statistics about particularly young teenage girls who are on social media and all the young girls who are living with crippling anxiety and depression because they cannot stop comparing themselves to others and they just don't measure up. And, and, and there's that underlying assumption that they need to prove themselves and they're in this endless, like on this treadmill, it just never ends and it's exhausting and it's dark and it's painful and not really all that different from probably what Zacchaeus was going through in his life, maybe looked a little different in some ways, but it's that same void, it's that same emptiness. And in this moment, Zacchaeus is like, this Jesus is, there's something of substance here. And I need to be rescued, and I think he's the one to rescue me. And when he comes to that conclusion, he says, hey, look, I don't need this anymore. So his, what he'd been clutching, the riches, because of what that did for him, it's like he lets go. And now he can give and say, hey, look, I'll give back. I don't need it anymore. 
I found, I mean, I think he would say, if we could talk to him, hey, what was going through your mind? I think he would say, I found the true treasure. And so Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. This outcast, this, this Jew who Jews would say, oh, you're not a Jew anymore, man. You, when, as soon as you turned your back on us and became a tax collector and started working for the Romans, you're out. Jesus says, no, no, he's, he's a son of Abraham. Why? Because he believes. What did Abraham believe? Abraham didn't know all the details about Jesus. He lived way, way early in Israelite history. Uh, one of the, obviously, patriarchs, right? Preceded Jesus by a long time. Didn't see all the details of the coming Messiah. But what Abraham understood was, hey, if there's going to be life with abundance if there's going to be any kind of promised land, any kind of, we could call it the good life, then only in Jesus. And I don't just mean like with stuff and material things, like maybe Abraham was thinking on that level, but somewhere God was communicating this message from beginning of Scripture really to the end that, hey, I'm life. And, and not just like physical life, not just material things, not just health, but more importantly, because our bodies are all dying, right? But no, eternal life. Restored relationship with our Creator by virtue of which we experience His love and His joy and His peace. Those things that we can't seem to find anywhere else. Isn't that right? He offers us. And so He says, Jesus says to Him, Today salvation has come to this house. He too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So I want you to think about this. Would you please just think about this? Whether you have been in the church for a long time, you've heard lots of sermons, or this is one of the first sermons you've heard, you're a visitor, or you've been here for years, whatever, wherever you're at, whether you've been part of the religious community or you've been part of an irreligious community, doesn't matter. Would you just please think about this for a few moments? Where are you enslaved by this Perpetual quest to prove yourself, to compete, to try to compensate for some shame that's deep down or trying to justify yourself. Where is it in your life that you feel small? You could ask this way. What part of your life do you feel like you just you have to be taken more seriously than you're being taken? Demanding that other people take you more seriously. What part of your life? We all have those thoughts. We all struggle in those ways. I saw a meme on social media recently that said, Remember, the only thing standing between you and your dreams is your appearance, your lack of talent, and your personality. (laughs) We're all deficient. Creatures for small. Something that just doesn't, well, it's hard to accept that. But just like Zacchaeus, maybe, maybe, that's where, uh, maybe that's where God wants to meet you. Let me read you one other passage. Way back in Isaiah 53. You don't need to turn there. Listen to Isaiah 53 and what it says about Jesus. 
Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a parched ground. Life where there was no life. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has called, caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men. He was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering... He will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Just a few more verses. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, that is Christ, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the treasures with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. One last little detail. You know what the name Zacchaeus means? Probably don't know what his name means. I didn't know until recently. His name means clean one or pure one or righteous one. Kind of ironic when you think about the life the guy lived. Selfish, arrogant, combative, exploiter, bigot, user. And in that place of his deepest insecurities, his darkest sins and greed, his competition with even with God. And other people. In that evil place, Jesus met him. Jesus, the righteous one, befriended him. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he died for Zacchaeus. And he died for you. And he died for me. And that is amazing love. You know the recesses of your heart. Your spouse, if you're married, knows some of them too. <laughs> and even the most lo loving among us, we have our limits, don't we, with one another and one another's junk. Here is a creator God 
with whom we have really the biggest problem, the one we've offended the most severely and egregiously, and yet He loves us and comes to us. And even as it says in Isaiah 53, He is pleased to rescue us, to be numbered among us, to die for us, to shed His blood, to go to the cross, to tell us, ready for this? We're going to end on this note. To tell us that in Him, we are righteous, justified. There's nothing else to prove. We're free. Let's pray. God, thank You for this truth which cuts to the heart of all of us. It gets real deep inside. God, we come before You this morning to to confess to You that, that we have been enslaved by our desire, by our perceived need to prove ourselves to be more than we are, to have more than we have. We have been, in a very real sense, at war with You. We have disadvantages. We have disabilities. We have losses in our lives that have made us angry and belligerent against you, against others. We have such a hard time accepting a small place. And this morning you're telling us to just accept it. And to be with Zacchaeus and to look upon Christ and to see him as a Savior. To see him as the one who offers us the gift of eternal life, the gift of justification, to believe, to to come unto Him and to find rest for our souls. We're just so tired in every other part of our lives, at our job, in our families, sometimes in the church, we're just exhausted trying to keep up, trying to get ahead, trying to prove something, and you just tell us there's nothing left to prove. Help us to behold Your Son to say He is the righteous one. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Help us to receive it joyfully like Zacchaeus did and to see, to have our eyes open to the people around us, to see them as human beings, not to be exploited and consumed, but to be loved, to be served, to be helped. Thank you for what you've shown us this morning. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray.